What is up, Northridge Church? Thanks for joining us. Man, it's been beautiful in Rochester, and so thanks for taking a piece of your weekend and hanging out with us. We are honored to have you, and we're kind of in the thick of a series we're calling Protecting the Promise, where we're kind of navigating the conversation in the context of marriage or future marriages. And in week one, we started this series. We, we said we're going to be talking about the promises or, or the vows that we make on that special day on our wedding day and how we can fight for them, how we can protect those promises and live them out in our marriages or our future marriages. And in week one, we started with the the promise of priority, where we got to make God the most important relationship that we have, and our spouse is our secondary human relationship. It's, It's God and then our spouse. And then last week, we talked about the promise of partnership that we're not signing a contract when we get married, but we're entering into a covenant before a holy God. And that covenant is not measured by how we feel, but it's measured by the level of commitment that we have. And maybe through this series, you've had some questions in your marriage or as you're preparing for your future marriage. And in week four of this series, Ashley and I are gonna do our best to answer your questions. And so maybe you have some questions, they've kind of arise throughout this series. Here's what I challenge you to do right now. Grab your phone and text the number on the screen. It's 585-397-7564. And we would love to do our best to answer any questions that you might have. And as you're doing that, I kind of want to let you know of something and really apologize for something because we released this number in week one of the series, but it was actually wrong. And uh, there was a girl named Kate who was bombarded by marital questions from Northridge Church. And, you know, Kate, if you're watching, I am so sorry, but God works in mysterious ways, you know? And so if you send a question in, you might want to do it again based off of the right number. I promise that number is right, and we will get to your questions, and we are sorry about that. But as we continue in this series, you know, when it, when it comes to marriage or, or planning for your future marriage, we all are kind of chasing after that happily ever after. We make plans and, and strategic plans to, to achieve that. But there's one thing in in marriage that we don't really plan for. You see, nobody in marriage plans to significantly wound their marriage with sin. But yet people do it every single day. Nobody plans to wreck or ruin their marriage based off a, a choice in life. But yet it all happens in our culture and our communities and in our marriages on the regular. You see, nobody plans to cheat on their spouse. Nobody plans to be addicted to pornography. Nobody plans to have an emotional affair. But yet these things happen in marriage pretty regularly in our culture today. And man, I get it. It's it's quiet here. Right? And it's not because I'm preaching to an empty room. It's because this is a very weighted and heavy topic. And today we're going to step into that third promise in marriage that we make on our wedding day. It's the promise of purity. The promise that we look into our spouse's eyes and say, I'm I'm committed to you and you alone for the rest of my life. The promise of purity. And I get it, maybe you're single today and you're saying, well, hey, you know, good news for me, I can just kind of push pause on this message and I'll just wait until I find Mr. or Mrs. Right and when I do that, I'll kind of push play and and purity will matter then. (laughs) But here's what you need to know if you're single. 
Don't think for a second that the choices you make in your dating relationships right now won't carry with you to your future marriage. Because if you're foolish enough to think that you can have fun and live it up now and it won't affect your future marriage, your future relationship, your future spouse, I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. Because here's what you need to know, for, for marriages today and, and for people who want to be married, it's very difficult to build a life of purity on a foundation of sin. It's very hard to make a lot of mistakes in the dating world to build that foundation of poor choices because they will follow with you into your marriage. And so today we're going to talk about purity. And if you got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Genesis 2, we've been looking really at the same set of verses throughout this series. And here's what God says to the first marriage. He says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so here we've been kind of focusing in these verses on significant words. The first week we looked at the word leaves, right? It's the Hebrew word that means to relinquish the priority off of mom and dad and shift it to your spouse. And when you do that, the second word we looked at is that word united, that two individuals actually are joined together as one family unit, And the Bible actually says that when Adam and Eve experience this, they're both completely buck naked and they feel absolutely no shame. Now, it's almost hard for us to to really resonate with that because our world is so sin-cursed that shame is kind of an emotion and a feeling that we feel in our calendars on the regular. It's something that we deal with every day. What would it be like to to, to be naked and not feel awkward or shameful? Like it's hard for us to picture that. But that's exactly what Adam and Eve are are experiencing right now. And I almost relate it to my kids or, or little kids. You see, I have three kids. They're all five and under. And I don't know if your kids are like mine, but my kids just love, maybe they're crazy, to run around our house completely naked. They think it's awesome. It's freeing. It's, it's crazy. And what's so interesting about that is during this COVID season, you know, I've been working from home and, you know, I have a lot of Zoom calls. And every once in a while, my office is kind of right at the front door and our stairs from, from our second story kind of meet where my office door is. And, you know, every once in a while during a Zoom call, I will completely bust out laughing because my second daughter, Ruby Kate, will walk down those stairs. She'll be completely naked and she will stand in the front of our office door, she will face away from me and she will stand there and over the horizon of my laptop, I will see these little hiney cheeks and here's what she does. Shake your booty, shake your booty. (laughs) And I'm like, what is your mother teaching you while you're gone, while I'm at work? But the reality is, is my kids, are so innocent that when they're naked, it's not awkward. They don't feel shame. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve are experiencing here. But yet it would change really fast. Because just a chapter later, the serpent would deceive them. 
He would get them to disobey God's command over their life, and the narrative would change. Look, Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And right here, the scriptures say, the moment sin enters the picture, guess what Adam and Eve feel? They feel this word called shame. And the shame moves them to action where they put on fig leaves to cover themselves because they're ashamed. This is the part where, where Adam said to Eve, hey, someone's got to wear the plants in the family. You see what I did there? It was pretty good, right? No one in the room is laughing. Hopefully you are at home. Verse 9, it says this, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And man, right here, the, the narrative changes for Adam and Eve because they choose to disobey God and they feel that shame, and that shame causes them to hide from God. And here's what we have to understand about shame. Is shame is Satan's tool to connect the act to your identity. You see, what our enemy wants to do in your life is he wants, when you disobey God, he wants to overwhelm you with shame so you take the act that you did and you connect it with who you are, your identity. Because when he does that, he will now convince you not only did you do something bad, but you are a bad person. And the way this fleshes out in our relationships and in our marriages, in our marriage, we, we say to our spouse, I can't let you know what I did. Because if I do, you'll realize I'm a bad husband or a bad wife. I can't let you know where I struggle because you won't love me the same. I can't let you know what I'm going through because you'll lose trust in me. And because of the shame, here's what we do. We do exactly what Adam and Eve do. We hide. We live our lives in secrecy. And here's the problem with that. If shame leads to secrecy, here's what we got to understand is secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And isn't that what we're longing for in our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, and, and really all relationships is this depth of intimacy? And the very thing that keeps us from that is shame that causes us to pretend to be somebody we're not. I mean, this isn't even just a marital concept. This is in just all relationships. Think about your small group. You see, if you live in secrecy with your small group, you pretend to be somebody you're not, you will never build this, this confidence in people and this trust in people to grow at a depth of relationship where people actually know you. And it's the same with your spouse. If you pretend or you act like you are somebody you're not, you, you, you guard yourself away from what God actually wants and has designed your marriage to achieve, which is intimacy. And so how do we get there? Well, I believe it actually happens on our wedding day when we make the promise of purity. And here's what the promise is. I promise to confide in you, not hide from you. Now, I would bet that when you heard, man, we're going to talk about the promise of purity, you thought it would be like a promise that I'm only going to be with you and you only. And that's one angle of purity, but I believe purity is way deeper than that. And today we're going to look at a different angle, a much deeper, I believe, angle where in our relationships we create intimacy by not pretending, by not living in secrecy, but actually allowing our spouse to know who we are, what we struggle with, and not allowing our shame to keep us from hiding. 
In fact, look what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so what the Apostle Paul says to everybody is, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, we all lived once in darkness because of our sinful nature, because of our flesh, we're all born sinners, fallen short of God's standard. And so we all lived in darkness. But when we say yes to Jesus Christ, what Jesus does, when we, he, we make him our forgiver and our leader, what he does is he pulls us out of that darkness and into the light. The Bible says you're a new creation. The old, the darkness is gone, and you step into the light. You're new. It's amazing. But here's what happens to a lot of Christians, a lot of Christ followers, is we actually step out of that darkness. But over the course of our life, we fight our flesh, our natural tendency towards sin, and we actually step back into the darkness. I'm not talking about from an eternal security standpoint, but I'm talking about a, 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 a practical everyday being living in obedience to God. And many of us, we step out of the light, salvation, but yet practically every day, we choose to step back into the darkness, And here's what Paul says about that. He continues, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Look at this, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so the apostle Paul says, hey, here's what you do with your shame. He says, what what happens is when you step into the light, if you choose to go back to the darkness, what you need to do is to expose it. You see, the apostle Paul understood, he says, he, he understood shame. He says, shame actually grows in the dark, but healing comes in the light. You see, the apostle Paul teaches us that, man, we gotta learn to expose the darkness because when we expose the darkness in our lives, It brings healing only in the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus. And here's what we have to to understand today is the apostle Paul is teaching us to expose the darkness in our lives. But here's where the problems come in marriage, right? The problems come when it comes to purity is we, we have a different standard than God does when it comes to purity. Our barometer, our temperature gauge for purity has relaxed itself. It's waned, but God's standard has remained high. In fact, let me show you God's standard. Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Did you catch that phrase there when it comes to purity? Paul says, there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality in me or in you. You want to talk about a ridiculous standard? Not even a drip? of sexual immorality. You see, the apostle Paul saw a major problem in our marriages and in our relationship today. It's where we draw the line of purity. Because most of us in in, in our current marriages, we believe that, hey, if I don't cheat on my spouse, if I don't commit adultery, man, I'm a dang good husband and I'm a dang good wife, right? That's our line, that's our standard. As long as we don't cross that line, we're good. But the apostle Paul realized that, man, it takes a lot of disobedience a lot of sin to actually get to the place where we'll cross that line. But the problem for our marriages and and our, our lives personally is we've dropped our standard of purity so low that we miss out on all that. In fact, you think the apostle Paul's standard was harsh? 
Look at Jesus's. Matthew chapter 5, he says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. There's our line. But here's Jesus's. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, you think the Apostle Paul hits you with not even a, 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 not even a hint of sexual immorality. Jesus says, actually, adultery doesn't start with the act. Jesus says it actually starts in the gym or in the office, or actually it starts in your head, where you think it, because that creates a pathway for you to live it out. And this isn't just an, an, an Old Testament thing, this is, or a New Testament thing, this is an Old Testament thing. Where, where the, the, the King Solomon actually says these same words to his son as, he teach, as he's teaching them on purity. He, he says this to his son, Proverbs chapter five, verse eight. He says, keep to a path far from her. That's the adulterous woman. He says, do not go near the door of her house. And what King Solomon teaches his son is the same thing the apostle Paul teaches us. Is he says, if you wanna play with fire, you're gonna get burned. Get as far away from sexual immorality as you can. And see, our standard has dropped. And if that's truly God's standard, it impacts our lives today. It impacts my lives today because we're all guilty of that. And the truth is, is man, I'm ashamed to tell you this story, but I can remember around the year three in my marriage where I went to, uh, on a date with my wife. We sat down and we had dinner together. We were sitting in booths across from each other. And I remember having good conversation with my wife and I remember having a good meal. And, and all of a sudden there was this beautiful woman who walked into the restaurant and she was wearing a skirt and, and a top and she walked by our booth. And man, unfortunately for me, I made a stupid decision where I not only looked at her, but I lusted after her. I took a too long of a look. And to make matters worse, my wife noticed. She didn't get mad, but she said this to me. She said, Drew, was that look worth it? And man, I was embarrassed. I was caught and there was nothing I could say. I had no defense. And, and, and the reality is some of you today might say, well, Drew, honestly, is that that big of a deal? Like of all the things to talk about, you're gonna bring up that illustration, but the truth is, is it is a big deal. Because what that decision does is it leads to a journey where you're willing to drop the standard even farther. And we have to get to a place where our line, our standard of purity matches up with God's. And how do we do that? You see, I think we have to decide to eliminate tomorrow's temptation today. You see, here's what we have to understand. We actually have the ability to eliminate temptation that might come to tomorrow by making some practical steps today. Ashley and I have, have tried to do this in, in, in our marriage. Here's some practical steps that you can take that we have taken. You see, Ashley and I in our marriage, we don't have secrets. We don't keep secrets from each other. A lot of people will say, hey, don't tell Ashley this. And, and, and if it's, the only thing I won't tell her is if it's a surprise for her birthday, her birthday party. But if you tell me, hey, don't tell Ashley this, I'm just gonna tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't tell me because I don't keep secrets from my wife. Ashley and I, when I travel for work, I always try to travel with somebody because I don't wanna put myself in a situation where I have to make a hard decision. I have accountability on all my devices, my technology, 
My wife knows all my passwords to every account. We share our finances. It's not one account for her and one account for me, but we have joint accounts where we have accountability. At a moment's notice, my wife can look at me and say, I want to see your cell phone, and I want to read all your text messages, and I want to see your history of where you've been looking. And here it is, babe. Because I don't want to get close to sin. I want to stay as far away as I can. I want to protect our purity. And here's what I would challenge all of us to do. As we look towards our future marriages or are we living in a marriage right now, we have to choose, just like we protect our priorities, just like we protect our partnerships, we have to learn to protect our purity. It's important. It's a big deal. And so the question that we have to ask is how can we stay on the path of purity? How can we live lives that are pure in God's eyes? Well, what's interesting is King David actually asked this very question, and he recorded it in the Bible. Psalms 119, it says this, how can, I, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, for a moment, teenager, did you, did you hear that question? middle schooler or high schooler, college age person, newly married person. I think this is a question really for all of us because we all think we're young at some level. How can we in life with all the distractions, with all the things that are bombarding us, trying to steal our purity? David asked the question we all need to know the answer to. How do we stay on the path of purity? The good news is he answers it for us. He says, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And what David says is, you wanna know how you stay on the path of purity? We choose to live according to God's word. And I love his choices of words. He says, we live according to God's word. And, and I love that word live because live means I'm gonna know God's word and I'm gonna follow after it. I'm not gonna just fill my head with knowledge, but I'm actually gonna use that knowledge to transform my life and the, my way of thinking and my way of acting. And I think the place we all have to start to live according to God's word is we have to know his word. We have to spend time in his word. You see, this isn't just a Sunday activity for us where we all gather as the church and we bank on the teaching from this stage to feed us from week to week. No, it's a daily activity where I open personally God's word and I meditate on it. I, I, I chew on it. I, I think about it. I memorize it. I study it. Because here's the reality of God's word. It promises some things. It promises if we choose to, to, to know it and live in it, it chooses to strengthen us, to guide us, to transform our hearts, to conform our minds. It washes us of our sins and our impurities. His word is alive and active and it will penetrate your heart and your soul. And I promise you, if you're committed to it, it will change you. We have to know his word. And here David says something interesting. He says, you have to learn to hide God's word in your heart. Very interesting, right? Because what does our shame tell us? It, our shame tells us to hide our secrets. And the truth is, is you have a choice. You have a choice to hide all your secrets or to hide God's word in your heart. You can't do both. And what's interesting is David actually says, when you choose to know God's word and a living, live according to it, what happens is you hide God's word in your heart and the result of that is you will not sin against him. 
Because when you read God's word and you marinate on it, what you do is you taste the righteousness of God. And when you taste the righteousness of God, you realize that God has his best in store for you, that his path is actually the one that works. And so in your marriage today, you won't settle for anything the enemy offers you because although it looks good, although it looks pleasurable, you'll realize that that path leads to destruction. You wanna know why? Because you've tasted that the Lord is good and you've tasted his righteousness. And here's the result of that. What happens is now that the enemy tries to lure you in, what used to lure you now repulses you. This is the amazing thing about God's word. If we would stay committed to it, not just for a week, not for just a month, but it would be a daily practice that we do year after year. What happens is the righteousness of God, when the enemy comes to tempt us with things that used to work in our lives, what happens is those same things now make us sick to our stomach. They don't work because we've tasted and seen how good God's path is in our lives and in our relationship and in our marriages. We have to learn to fight for our purity. And I just wanna give you a glimpse into my marriage and how Ashley and I do that. Check this out. I feel like after marriage, purity to me, purity sounds like a word that you use before you get married, but I feel like after marriage, purity for me feels a lot like transparency. And that's transparency with the Lord and with your spouse. So if you feel like you're struggling with something, it, first you're gonna take it to the Lord and give it to Him. But in, in an act of purity, letting your spouse know at some le level how you're dealing with this so that they can be praying for you and so that you can be transparent and genuine with each other with whatever that ends up looking like, especially purity towards one another. Trust is a lot of baby steps. Uh, so after 13 years, I'm really glad we're through a lot of the really, really baby steps in the beginning. I think trust for us has just been seeking each other's well-being regardless of what's going on. Defending each other, that's a big one. Like if you're gonna defend your spouse and not talk bad about your spouse when you're with your girlfriends, then even if your spouse isn't there, in your heart you know that you just built up trust and value for your spouse in your own mind. So again, maybe you're in a circle or even in community group and you're everybody's talking about things they wanna pray for for their spouse and maybe it eventually turns into venting. For you to remain true to your spouse um, and keeping it pure in that conversation, in your mind, you know right then that you valued your spouse. And that's that goes in your book and, and that, that helps you move forward. And once you do it the first or second time, you can start to get yourself into a pattern where you're value, valuing your spouse in your heart. And especially as women, even if you're verbally processing like that, you're valuing your spouse as well. One other thing would definitely be not keeping secrets. I think that from the get-go, Drew and I, again, trying to be transparent with each other and being honest with each other and valuing each other in that way and knowing even if there's something that you have to tell each other, just getting it out there so it doesn't become some big thing that just starts to grow and that you're carrying around in this backpack full of shame, but just being transparent, honest, open, and not keeping any secrets from one another. Guys, purity is a big deal. It's a big deal in all of our relationships, but really specifically our future and our marriages now. And I wonder for you personally, where is the enemy luring you? Where is he tempting you to make a decision that you might regret for the rest of your life? Where is that area 
or that soft spot in your life right now where the enemy is trying to lie to you, convince you to make a decision that you probably don't want to. And as you think about that, as you name that area in your life, I would just simply ask you this question, is it worth it? Is it worth the short-term pleasure for the long-term cost? And I actually think it might be as simple as that when we deal with the lies and the schemes that the enemy brings when it comes to our purity. It's, it's as simple as thinking about the future cost of the present decision. And what I did was, man, I, I just kind of made a list of the things it would cost me personally if I were to make a really dumb decision in my marriage. And I wanna walk you through some of these. Number one, if I chose to do something really dumb in my marriage, I would break the heart of God and I would drag Christ's name through the mud. You see, in my position, I, I, I serve as the lead pastor of this church and, and maybe if I made that decision, it might be in the local news. Pastor does it again. And not only would it ruin my reputation, but it would mar the name of Northridge Church and the name of Jesus. I would drag his name through the mud. Number two, I would have to stand before God and I would have to give an account to him face to face on the decision I chose to make. Number three, I'd lose my reputation, something that over the course of my life, I've worked really hard to build. I'd lose my job, my career, and my ministry. I would have to sit down to my three children and explain to them that daddy wasn't who he said he was. And I would have to look Ashley in the eyes and see the pain and the hurt that I caused to the woman that I claimed to love who has sacrificed so much to love me. And for what? A few moments of selfishness, of pleasure? I could ruin Christ's name, I could ruin my name, and I could ruin my family's name for just that. You see, shame causes you to live in secrecy. And secrecy is the enemy of what God's trying to build in your marriage and in your relationships, that's intimacy. And the very thing that will build intimacy in your marriage today and in my marriage is purity. And that's why we fight for it. And so today, as we wind down, I wanna to speak to two groups of people. The first group is those of you who are living right now in secrecy. You're hiding the truth of some decision that you made. And honestly, you're tired of it. You're tired of carrying the guilt and the weight of that decision. The secrecy is weighing on you. And here's what I would tell you right now. There's good news that even though adultery can be grounds for divorce, it can also be grounds for forgiveness. That our God is gracious and faithful to forgive. And so maybe you're headed down that path or maybe you're living that path right now. Here's my words to you. And they're not my words, they're the words of God's word. It says this in Proverbs 28, it says, whoever conceals their sins, does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 
So if you're living with a secret, my challenge to you is to confess it to God and ask for his forgiveness. But don't stop there. Confess it to the right people to find healing. Because what you hide in the dark will not heal there. And some of us just need to ask for help. The second group of people that I want to talk to is those of you who will actually hear that secret from somebody else. And I'm not going to lie, it will probably be very hard and painful and it will hurt to hear that secret. And your natural reaction will be to say hurtful things, to lash out in the pain that you feel. And as you hear that secret that causes you pain, I just want to remind you of God's response to your sin. Proverbs 28 says, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And just because you give somebody mercy doesn't excuse their behavior. It's not voiding the pain and the hurt that you will feel. But what I want you to understand is how hard it was for that person who was hiding that secret to come and tell you. And what I'm asking you to do is to begin through the pain and the hurt to try to begin the process of forgiving them. And then to both of you, you can't do this alone. You have to do this with the gospel, Christ living inside of you to help you navigate this journey. You need a church, a body of believers who will love you and care for you through this journey. And that's what Northridge Church is and we're committed to helping you. And I wanna talk about two ways that we can do that. First is our Art of Marriage class that's gonna happen June 27th, right after this series. It's a deep dive into the conversations about marriage. And this is for really healthy marriages and this is really for struggling marriages. And if you're listening right now and you're interested in that class, I'd encourage you to grab your phone right now as a couple and just text marriage to the number on the screen. You're not signing up for anything right now. You're just asking for information for a class that will help strengthen and encourage your marriage today. But secondly, I want you to know as a church that we offer counseling, marital counseling, individual counseling that will help you navigate some of the hardships of marriage. Don't wait until it's too far gone before you ask for help. We are here, we have pastors and people on staff who are available to you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You see, when we choose to protect our promises, priority, partnership, and purity, we build a healthy foundation for a godly marriage. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for all that you give to us. And God, help us fight to protect the promises we made on that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, again, I wanna thank you for joining us here. And I know today's topic was very heavy and some of you have some really hard decisions to make. Do I share my secret or do I not? And if we wanna be there for you, we wanna answer any questions that you might have. And the easiest way for us to answer your questions is to simply text CONNECT to 585-210-8564. You'll see that number on the screen. And we wanna be there for you. This is not easy stuff, but it will benefit you to follow God's path for your marriage. And so don't hesitate to reach out to us. We care for all of you and we wanna be there for you. 
Again, thank you for joining us. We're gonna answer some questions next week and we're gonna bring this series to an end. So we hope you'd invite a friend and you would join us together as we finish protecting the promise. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you back next weekend. Have a great day.